0: Education Currents, a show designed to provide current educational news and commentary from a Christian worldview. The greatest resource any community has is its children, and by providing for them the best possible education, we are providing for ourselves and future generations. Join us as we explore the latest social and political issues surrounding education. Here are your hosts, Dr. Rose Gambler.
1: Welcome, welcome. I have sat down here with William J. Federer, and he is American's historian. I always like to introduce you that way, even though even though I know you're so humble and and don't like necessarily the big title of that. But you certainly have loved the subject of history. And today we're going to talk about one of your new books, The History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. This is going to be such a fun show. So what inspired you to write about
0: Christmas? Well, for so often, uh, we would say, well, uh, Santa and materialism is pulling our attention away from Jesus, the real reason for the season. And sometimes the response would be, well, uh, Jesus is good, Santa is bad. Santa is Satan. See, you can change the name name letters around, and it spells, it's like, no, 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 Santa comes from sanctified, and it's where we get the word saint, and, you know, you have uh, Saint, um, you know, Michael, and anyway, the idea is, let's go back and look at his life, and then decide, and lo and behold, turns out he is, the real, real Nicholas, is a godly man so it sort of gives his story and then we learn some of the traditions that get piled on over the years that turn into the Santa Claus we have today and and it's a really fascinating story and some of it is you know Christian themes and some of it is secular you know even pagan themes but you get to uh, dissect the tradition and it's just a fascinating fascinating story why because a whole lot of western history western civilization uh history is tied together with the date of christmas
1: yes the the history of saint nicholas started in the third century tell me about the bishop of myra
0: right well a, a little background and again the title of the book is there really is a santa claus the history of saint nicholas and christmas holiday traditions so we have the bible even in the book of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And it goes on, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so we see there's Jesus. And, of course, you say, well, where, where's Jesus in, in the story? If, if everything was made, with, and nothing was made without him. Well, if you go back and read the creation story, it says, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And God said, Let the firmament, you know, be in the midst of the waters. And God said, Let the waters from above the heavens be gathered below. And, and God said, Let the earth bring forth. Nothing is created without God saying. And what do you say but words? And so you got God the Father, you got Jesus, the Word, and then it says the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And when the Word was spoken, the Spirit, you know, brings forth the life and everything. So you got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I point that out. But then it says in John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When did this happen? The uh, book of Luke uh, tells about Caesar Augustus, the most powerful king on planet Earth. He's like a globalist, and he wants to track everybody under his thumb, right? We have government tracking us nowadays with NSA and so forth. So he wanted to track everybody, and he he has a global census, a worldwide census, uh, so that he could tax the world. Lo and behold, God's plan is behind the plan, and so this causes Mary and Joseph to have to go to uh, Bethlehem to be counted in the census, all right, to be tracked by the government. God fulfills the prophecy in Jesus being born in Bethlehem. The important thing that I remind myself is that uh, the church was born into a one-world anti-Christian government, the Roman Empire, and we win. Now, it did take three centuries and 10 major persecutions, and Christians were thrown to the lions, but eventually Constantine, who was the Roman emperor, uh, stopped the persecution of Christians. So the story is you have Nero and doing a Christian persecution, Domitian and Trajan doing Christian persecutions, uh, Decius, Valerian, but the worst was Diocletian. And he, from around 285 to 305, he literally tries to exterminate Christianity. The story is that he lost some battles with Persia. He asked his generals why. And the general said, well, Emperor, you've neglected the Roman gods. And so he orders all the military to return to worshiping the Roman gods. Well, there happened to have been a lot of people in the military that converted to Christianity. And guess what? They're forced out. Sort of like what we've seen in the last uh, decade, where they're pushed out of our military people that have Christian values, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. the ones that are in there have... They have to hide their Christian faith, and that's sort of what happened with Diocletian. It's like, okay, everybody in the military, you've got to get rid of this new thing, this Christian stuff. You got to embrace these pagan gods, you know, the ones that the few Christians that stayed had to do live in the closet. So, Diocletian he uh, dies suddenly. When an emperor dies, it's sort of a toss-up as to who's going to be the next emperor. Now, during this time, Diocletian uh, went province by province. And Diocletian would arrest the church leaders, tear down churches, burn the scriptures. One of the big deals was it would force the pastors to give up the scriptures. Many pastors went to their death saying, I am not going to give up the scriptures. And some of them did. And they gave up the scriptures. And that's one of the reasons why we don't have a whole lot of historical records of the early church in the first three centuries, because the emperor demanded all those Records and letters be turned over and burned. Anyway, during this time is when Nicholas's story begins. So we've got uh, the Roman Emperor Diocletian. He's persecuting Christians, and now we're going to go over to a part of the Roman Empire. Today it's Turkey. Back then it was the Byzantine Christian Empire, and all seven churches mentioned in the Book of Revelation are in this area. And so Christianity is starting, and it, it, these during these ten major persecutions of Christians they get to um, have different degrees of freedom. But now under, unfortunately, Diocletian, they're cracking down. So Nicholas, he's born in a town called Patara, Asia Minor. And his parents are Christians, but they die. And he's an only child. They leave him with a lot of money. And he ends up becoming a really serious Christian. And so a movement that was sweeping through Christianity at this time was called Pietism that said, if you're really a Christian, you'll give away your money and join a monastery or live in a cave or... You know whatever, and so sure enough, Nicholas really becomes a Christian, and he decides to give away his money, but he doesn't want to get the credit for it because he doesn't want people coming to him saying you're such a great guy. He wants the credit to go to God alone, and so he would sneak mm-hmm. into town and go to the houses of poor people and throw money in their window or their fireplace, and it would land in a shoe or a stocking, right? That's out there drying by the fireplace, uh, and so one famous story was a merchant in the town of Pataro had gone bankrupt. And back then, the creditors would not only take your house and lands, they would take your children, like sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And so this dad, this merchant that's bankrupt, thought, you know what, my girls are teenagers and and, uh, early 20s, maybe I can hurry up and marry them off. And then the creditors won't be able to take them. And the problem was he did not have money for a dowry, which was needed in that area of the world for a legally recognized wedding. And so Nicholas hears this merchant's dilemma. He goes into town. He throws money in the window. It provides the dowry for the oldest daughter to get married. It's a big buzz, talk of the town, a lot of happiness. And then he sneaks in and throws money in the window for the second daughter to have a dowry to get married. And everybody's all excited. But he's got the dad has one more daughter. And so Nicholas sneaks into town. Sure enough, this time, the dad is waving up, runs outside, catches Nicholas, and Nicholas makes the father promise not to tell who gave the money. Why? Because he wanted the glory to go to God. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so this was the origin of the tradition of secret gift-giving, midnight visits from St. Nicholas, right, on the, the night of Nicholas's birth, which was December, his death, uh, which was December 6th, 343 A.D.
1: 343 So it
0: was just a Greek thing, a little bit of a um, uh, comparison St. Patrick is around 400 A.D. So this is just like one generation before St. Patrick in Ireland. Here you have St. Nicholas. And, this, um, and so what happens? Nicholas goes on to become the most popular Greek Orthodox saint. He's sort of the founding father of the Greek Orthodox Church, very similar to the way St. Saint, saint Peter is the most popular Catholic saint and St. Patrick is the most is famous Irish saint. And I could go on, but so, so there are more Greek Orthodox churches named after Nicholas than anybody else. And ironically enough, he, he is considered the patron saint of pawnbrokers. Like what? <laughs> yeah, pawnbrokers say, well, we help people out in their time of financial need and, you know, we'll trade them money for whatever little items they have around their house. And so pawnbrokers hang three gold balls in front of their shops to symbolize the three bags of gold that Nicholas threw in the window. Anyway, a little bit of a stretch, but that is the history of what uh, they think it comes from. So,
1: so how did the Christmas tree get in
0: here? Well, that's a whole lot later. Uh, oh. That's uh, St. Boniface, <laughs> who was a missionary amongst the Germanic tribes, and they, you know, Thor, we got the movie with Thor. Well, Thor mm-hmm. is where we get the name Thursday, Thor's Day, and these Germanic tribes would you do human sacrifice uh, to Thor in front of this mm. big oak tree, and this uh, missionary... Uh, To these Germanic tribes was St. Boniface, sometimes called Winfred, and he takes an axe and he chops down Thor's tree. And the people say, well, you know, we got to stop him. And, you know, sort of like when um, uh, Gideon chopped down the uh, Baal's, you know, Baal's statue, and they say, well, we got to get Gideon. And the dad, somebody said, well, no, if, you know, Baal's really a god, let him defend his own idol. And so here the situation was, if if Thor is really a god, he can protect his own tree, and obviously he didn't, and so the whole Germanic tribe, and that's when St. Boniface points to an evergreen tree and says, see how it points toward heaven, it's an evergreen, like your ever everlasting life, and let it no shelter, any deeds of blood, and, and so in Germany, they've got a little town with St. Boniface with uh, an ax and a tree chopped down, and anyway, so that's the that's the tree thing. Martin Luther's the one who took um, candles and put them in the branches, and said this is this like the sky above bethlehem on the night of christ's birth and but that's sort of a uh, one of those other traditions that's added in
1: well we're going to have to take a break here but we'll be right back Been listening to Education Currents. Be sure and like us on our Education Currents Facebook page and consider joining MRG Media in this radio ministry. You can call us anytime at 301 824 3162. That's 301 824 3162. Or Write to MRG Media at P.O. Box 413, Smithsburg, Maryland, 21783. That's P.O. Box 413, Smithsburg, Maryland, 21783. Welcome back to Education Currents.
0: But as far as the Nicholas story goes, uh, after he gives away all his money, he decides he's going to join a monastery. And so he goes on a pilgrimage over to Jerusalem, and it's a Mount Zion monastery. And the story that the Greek Orthodox Church passes down is that he was uh, about to join this monastery, and somehow the Lord spoke to him not to hide his light under a bushel. Now, at this time, he's just an individual guy, just a young man, and he gives away all his money. His parents died. He's going to go into the monastery, and then the Lord tells him no. And so uh, he decides to go back to Asia Minor. Today, that's Turkey. Back then, it was Asia Minor, and it's still under the Roman emperor. It's under Diocletian, and he's still persecuting Christians. But Nicholas goes back, and there's a church in in the town of Myra, M-Y-R-A, and it's a big port city. And the church has, you know, sort of an underground church, but they have a little bit of, you know, the different waves of allowing Christians to be there. So there's a big Christian community. So this is a situation where the bishop in Myra had died, and the church leaders could not decide who the next bishop was supposed to be. And the Greek Orthodox story is that one of the old church leaders was praying, and he had a dream or a vision that the first person to church the next day uh, would be named Nicholas, and he was to be their next bishop. Well, Nicholas's habit was to, you know, fast and stay up all night and pray, and he would be the first person. The church in the morning, he walks in, they ask his name, he says, Nicholas, they say, Come here. They take him in the back room where all these church leaders are praying, and they say, You're supposed to be our bishop. Now, Nicholas was not excited about this because the Roman emperor was collecting bishops and killing them. <laughs> so, they're like, you be the bishop. No, 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 I insist. You be the bishop. No, 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 you first. You. It was because whoever's going to be the bishop is going to get arrested and killed. Well, sure enough, Nicholas is arrested and he's put in prison and he's awaiting death. And suddenly Diocletian dies. And this year, so 285 is when um, Nicholas um, is, you know, born. Well, now it's around 305. And so, you know, the uh, emperor Diocletian is struck with an. He actually, first he's struck with an intestinal disease and he abdicates the throne on May 1st, 305 AD. This was a big deal. Roman emperors were claiming to be divine, to be a god, mm. demanding their image be worshipped. And, and so this is like, when Diocletian abdicates the throne, he's struck with an intestinal disease. It's really, really painful. And, and so he, um, it's, it's sort of like a god resigning. <laughs> so the next emperor is <laughs> hilarious, and he continues the persecution, and he actually dies of an intestinal disease. Maybe it was something in the water there. In Rome.
1: Mm.
0: Now it's a toss-up. Now the way Rome was, When an emperor died and there was no specified replacement, the generals would fight it out. And the soldiers pledged allegiance to their general, not to the flag and not to the country, to their general. They would go to their death if the general ordered them to go into a battle. They obeyed their general to the death. It was this kind of loyalty. And so when when, uh, Diocletian abdicates Galerius dies, it's a toss-up and there's four generals and one of them is in York, England, and his name is Constantine. And uh, the British had, I mean, sorry, the Romans had been in England since Julius Caesar's time. And so now this um, is 313 AD, Constantine's men surround him and say, they say, hail Caesar, we're gonna back you. And so Constantine marches toward Rome. And uh, there's two generals that are quickly defeated. Now it's a, it's a contest between Constantine and, and Maxentius. And it's the Battle of the Milvian Bridge, 313 AD. And the story is that Constantine sees the sign of Christ in the sky before the battle, and he puts it on all of his shields and symbols, and he wins, and that's when he legalizes Christianity. So what was the sign of Christ in the sky? It was the first two letters of the Greek name for Christ. The Greek name for Christ is Christos, and the word, the, the letter that makes the K sound in Latin is an X. And the letter that makes the sound is... Is spelled as a P, we look at it as the P, but back in the Roman times it made the R sound. So, that how we abbreviate states with two letters, the Romans abbreviated names with two letters, and so the name Christus is abbreviated as X and P, it's called the Chi Rho. And over the, over the centuries, it got shortened just to the Chi, the X, and it was called the Christ's Cross, or as we said, hmm. Crisscross. And so it became a part of an oath. And so you, you want to sign a, a document, you would sign at the Christ cross, at the X. Uh, you, mm-hmm. I swear to tell the truth, cross your heart, that was the Christ cross. We signed the um, Valentines with X's and O's. That was the Christ cross that you're pledging your, your faithfulness um, in front of Christ, like in the court. So help me God. And um, anyway, so the, the sign of the X and the P, Constantine puts on all of his shields and symbols. And you can see it in Old Uh, Christian uh, Roman artwork of the X and the P, and it's called the Cairo. So Constantine is now the emperor. He wins the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. Uh, So he issues the Edict of Milan. Edict of Milan in 313 A.D. This officially ends the persecution of Christians. At this time, Nicholas is let out of prison. Nicholas goes back to Myra, which is the city where he was a bishop. And they're all happy to see him. And now that it's legal to be a Christian, he publicly preaches against paganism. What were the pagan practices? Mm. Uh, Human sacrifice in the temples, uh, the sacrifice of infants. Uh, They did uh, infant exposure. So Mm. this was their version of abortion. In the Roman culture, mother would bear a child, laid at the father's feet. And if the father picked it up and liked it, they could keep the child. If not, if he did not pick it up, if you thought they couldn't afford it or wasn't healthy, the mother had to put the baby in a box and set it outside the door and mm. let it die, be exposed to the elements. Now, the early Christians would hear, hear these babies crying and collect them. And that gave birth to this tradition of, right, an older couple coming out and there's a baby in a basket on their doorstep, right? So this was the, you know, uh, the Christians would take, take in these infants. But the Romans, so, so Nicholas preached against, against infant exposure he preached against divination. That's where the Romans would cut open an animal, look at its gizzards, and try to predict the future. And But then nearby was the Temple to Diana at Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It had 127 enormous pillars and temple prostitutes. Yeah, so mm. going to the Temple of Ephesus was pretty immoral. And and so the Apostle Paul preached at Ephesus. Remember that? And uh, mm-hmm. the people all got riled up, and they met in their Uh, auditorium is to the greatest Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians, her image fell from heaven. It was this multi-breasted little pagan idol image and they all worshiped it. And anyway, so the apostle Paul preached against Diana worship at Ephesus and St. Nicholas preached against Diana worship. And during Nicholas's time, the people tore the temple to Diana down. So here Nicholas is not only a Christian, uh, he's a bishop. He's a fiery preacher against sexual immorality. And then you have the Arian heresy. So first three centuries of Christianity, they don't live long enough to argue over doctrine. Now that it's legal to be a Christian, you got a heresy. A guy named Arius said, Jesus is a little less than God. He's a created being. And the Visigoths, who were a people group that immigrated into Rome, they converted en masse totally to Arianism. And now the Roman Emperor Diocletian's like, look, you Christians, I legalized you guys, and now you're fighting amongst yourselves with this Arian. You got to settle this thing. And so he orders all the bishops to Nicaea. And this is the first time ever that all the Christian leaders of the entire world come together at one place, Nicaea. And the story is that Nicholas slaps Arius across the face for starting the. Wow. Heresy. So the old paintings of the Consul of Nicaea, you'll see all the bishops sitting in a circle, and down in a pit in the middle is Arius for starting the Arian heresy. The story is that um, Nicholas had a little temper. Yeah. I, I saw, I was looking on the internet for pictures, and I had a picture of Nicholas slapping Arius, and uh, <laughs> underneath somebody put, I came to give presents to kids and to punch heretics. I just ran out of presents. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, we we've only gotten to talk about one of your... Uh, uh, one component of the book and I forgot to tell my listeners to go to your website so I want to make sure I get that in your website is AmericanMinute.com and we're talking with William J. Federer and he's just a wealth of knowledge and we, we're exploring the historical account of one of our most beloved figures which is Santa Claus and there really was a Santa Claus you know we've come to the end of the show Uh, But do you have uh, anything that um, you need to add before? I mean, you need to get the book,
0: really, because... Right, right. So the book is titled, There Really is a Santa Claus, The History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. The Greeks have lots and lots of stories about him. One of them, there was a storm. The fisherman couldn't get back. They called Nicholas. He goes down and prays. And the sea becomes calm and the fisherman can come back. So he's considered the, quote, unquote, patron saint of sailors. Another one, the corrupt governor was going to execute a soldier, uh, and Nicholas goes down there and breaks through the crowd and grabs the sword and throws it down. And then he turns in front of everybody and tells what this corrupt governor was doing. And, um, and so he, the, the governor begs Nicholas to pray for him. And so he, he stood up to corrupt politicians and uh, <laughs> but he dies on December 6th, 343 AD. And wow. uh, maybe we can pick up in another uh, program and tell what happened next.
1: Yes, his legacy lives on As we hope all of our legacies live on to some degree With our grandchildren and their children Thank you so much for spending this time with us I have one last thing to say and that is God bless
0: You have been listening to Education Currents A production of MRG Media Ministries For more on this or to contact us Go to mrgmediaministries.com That's all one word, mrgmediaministries.com